If I had seen Jesus walking along with his 12 disciples, and I thought, man, these guys are the cream of the crop. And so I come up close to listen, and I hear James and John saying, you know, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Is it going to be me? Is it going to be you? You know? You know even like, what the, do you think? Should we just stop? Uh, should we just blow that town up? They didn't take us very well. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven? Yeah. Or... Or you walk up close and you hear like a you hear like a you know Judas on the phone talking to the chief priest you know like can you make that thirty uh, can you make that thirty pieces of silver sure I'll turn him over you know that that has existed wow. from the beginning hasn't it I mean and, and it's a shame but you know what it exists in of my course. life. Well, hello and welcome to another classic, but also contemporary episode of On the Journey with hmm. Matt and Ken. I'm Matt Swaim. He's Ken Hensley. We're going to talk all about his life That's right. uh, just a couple episodes from now. Soon, soon. Uh, we've been going into my life, digging out all kinds of things from the closets of my world, uh, talking a little bit about some of the reasons why I became Catholic and today some of the reasons that I had not the smoothest road in the world. But if you are someone who is interested in the church in any capacity, whether you're coming to it from scratch or whether you're thinking about coming back to it, please do contact us at the Coming Home Network. It's chnetwork.org. Uh, that's where you can find lots of resources and stories and all the previous episodes of On the Journey as well. But if you really want to dive into the conversations that we're having on a daily basis with people from all backgrounds and at all stages of interest in Catholicism, then please do come check out our online community, which is community.chnetwork.org. Ken, I know I've unloaded so much of my life story on you in the past two episodes. I can't believe that you're interested in he hearing anything else after all that I've said. Well, there's so much you have to say as introductory in every one of these episodes that my mind gets blown by the time you're done with ch.slash.this.that. Just letters that. and numbers to you. I know. By the way, subscribe, subscribe to our um, subscribe. Yes, you know what that means. Mash the button and um, subscribe to the YouTube yeah, channel. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know whether you asked it or not, but I'm doing fine. Ken, <laughs> I'm I'm I'm, I'm here you. and I'm ready to go. You know, uh, it, it's still it, it's it's strange for me too to not be the one who is launching out with a bunch of content. And you know, we've done about seventy-seven episodes of On the Journey with Matt and Ken, and mainly we've been digging into. A pretty heavy and important fundamental theological issues in talking about the process of thought that led us from wherever we were to to eventually become Catholic. And so I, I usually start these recordings with my mind is filled with content. And now I start this recording just like a blank slate, you know, tabula rasa. I don't even know what you're saying. I don't know what you're going to say, and I don't know what I'm going to say in response. But, but here we are. And yes, we're listening to your story um, over the course of some weeks, the story of your... Um, trek into the Catholic faith. And you've told us in the last couple of episodes, you've told us um, what, what opened your heart to the, opened your mind to the, to the concept that Catholicism might have something to say. And, and you've gone through some of the things that led you to believe 
to to begin to strongly believe that you that you needed to become Catholic, and um, and the question I want to throw at you today, you can come at it from any angle you want, though, is um, what about obstacles on the way? What are the obstacles that you faced, theologically, personally, you know, existentially, financially, whatever they may be? What are the obstacles you faced on this path? And uh, so go ahead and take it wherever you want to. And yeah, I, I figured I'd start today. Um, I think we sort of left off. Last time around, I was fairly convinced that I needed to become Catholic. Mm-hmm. So uh, the obstacles came in the forms of like, you know, how is this supposed to work? Uh, what am I supposed to do? Uh, without going into too much detail, there were obviously some uh, things to deal with regarding my family and friends who many of them, mm-hmm. Catholicism was just like not an option, not necessarily because they were anti-Catholic, but because they didn't have a space in their brain to put the idea of someone actually actively on purpose becoming Catholic. Uh, in part because they weren't sure exactly what the Catholic Church was. Yeah. So, well, and you're from Tennessee. You're from Tennessee. And you're Kentucky. From Kentucky. You're from the. You're from the buckle of the Bible Belt. So most of the people in your family, I would assume, they open the file drawer and they just do they, not have a it's empty. file. It's empty. Yeah. yeah. For for, I mean, for this subject. Yeah. So so there there was that obstacle in terms of just like this is just, uh, you know terra incognito as it were <laughs> you know nobody knows what this is um and also with my yeah. friends you know who i started the house church with who i'm still good friends with so many of them and they just didn't mm-hmm. they couldn't follow me they they respected me they were mm-hmm. kind to me the whole time they just it wasn't it wasn't an option for them um and there wasn't like really you know, some major kind of like knockdown drag out brawl or anything. There was nothing like that with any of my friends. Mm-hmm. It was just like a, all right, mm-hmm. go do it, man. Whatever makes you happy, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Um, so they weren't pulling hit. They weren't pulling Lorraine Bettner's book on you or no his trail of blood stuff. Talking about and talking about the horror of Babylon. They weren't pulling no, that on no, you. No, no, um, no. Okay. I mentioned okay. in a previous episode that I did have some anti-Catholic stuff that was in the background, but most of that's been pretty well solved by mm-hmm. this point. You know, I had. Uh, Especially when I was researching end times, you know, things as a young kid Mm -hmm. going through Revelation and Daniel, you know, some of the Protestant prognosticators I was, you know, looking at had some anti-Catholic things to say about, you know, the role that the Pope would play in Mm -hmm. the end of the world. And I was pretty well Mm -hmm. over that. Um, I think really the first obstacles for me came, um, well, there are about four different categories I want to get into, but the first one was all the stuff that was wrapped up in experiencing the reality of the Catholic Church compared to what it had existed as in my mind as an ideal. And there are a couple of reasons I think that this was kind of difficult for me. Um, one is because I hadn't known any Catholics growing up. Uh, two is because I didn't even have a concept in my head of mm-hmm. what the lived reality of Catholicism was. Uh, I hadn't really talk to any Catholic friends over the years who were like, oh yeah, so Lent's coming up. Oh, this is what it's like. You know, <laughs> there's nothing like that in my life for me to have as a point of reference. Yeah. But also because yeah. my conversion towards the Catholic Church, uh, my my attraction to it happened primarily in my own head with the aid of books written by dead people. Right? So mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. the people I'm having conversations with Catholicism about right up to the very end, all my interlocutors are dead. And have been so for some time, right? So the G.K. Chestertons and the Flannery O'Connors of this world, the Ronald Knoxes, <laughs> the J.R.R. Tolkien, they're all dead. They're dead, Ken. Um, 
It's not like I can call them on the phone. Flannery O'Connor. They're all gone. Um, They're in the communion of saints at this point. And that's all good and well, but uh, I'm trying to figure out who I'm going to be sitting in the pews with. And uh, so that was was an issue for me. Um, And as such, when I finally worked up the nerve to go to my first Mass, which was within walking distance, actually, of -hmm. the place where I'd been living in this, uh, you know, kind of Christian punk rock commune of sorts, um, I actually was very nervous uh, about going to my first Mm -hmm. Mass. Um, for a few different reasons, I had no knowledge of this whole Vatican II thing or any of some of the liturgical brouhaha that goes on in the interwebs today. Right. Uh, I was worried right. when I went in there, okay, am I going to be underdressed in this room full of monks and nuns? Like, <laughs> this is, this yeah. is going to be strange. Um, will... I know any of the Latin phrases that are going to be, you know, peppered throughout the course of this. Uh, am I going to know what I'm supposed to do, sit, stand, kneel at various points? Mm-hmm. Um, am I going to have like an allergy to all the incense that's going to be in there? Um, all these things are in my mind. And of course, yeah. uh, when I walk in and I get the, uh, well, as the, as the record on my shelf indicates, I got the 20th century folk mass. <laughs> so that's yeah. What... Yeah. no, no incense, no nuns, no monks, no none, none of the nun, none of the no, nun uh, stuff. Um, no, I remember monks being with uh, not with knives. Right, none of the Monty Python, you know, <laughs> whacking yourself in the forehead with book stuff that I was fully expecting to see. I uh, I was frankly a little underwhelmed and a little put off. Uh, by my first experience mm-hmm. of the mass, because my bear in mind, my whole life, my family had selected congregations based on uh, was it good music, was it good preaching, was there good strong fellowship, and mm-hmm. um, the music was a C minus, <laughs> preaching was maybe a D plus. Uh, it Three was about strikes. a tenth as long <laughs> as I was used to hearing someone preach. It was very little connection to the actual scriptures that we had heard. Um, I know some people, when they go to Mass for the first time, they're like, wow, there's so much Bible in this Mass. I wasn't keyed in on the liturgical pieces of it, so I didn't notice that mm-hmm. part until later. I was wired to key in on yeah, if, the preaching. Waiting. Yeah, the sermon. Yeah, the sermon. And I was like, there's no Bible in this thing. <laughs> like, nobody's talking about the Bible. They're just yeah. telling me about how I shouldn't be nice to each other if somebody cuts me in line at the grocery store. I'm like, I already know that. Uh, and then at the end... Uh, I had walked in thinking they were going to be able to smell the Protestantism on me and that I was going to be confronted, uh, you yeah. know, and, uh, yeah. you know, because every other church I'd ever gone to, when you're the new person in the room, somebody's there at the door being like, hey, are yeah. you new here? You get a, let's, what's your name? Where are you from? You know, are you new in town? You know, it was none of that. And uh, my wife had not yet moved to the Cincinnati area and... So I was kind of reporting back to her after a couple of weeks of this, and <laughs> this is terrible. Wait, was she your wife now? Not yet. Not yet. No. Yeah, okay. Um, okay. Yeah, because I was, was going to say, last week you mentioned the the girl you were getting to know, the young lady you were getting to know right. who would later become your wife, who was a Catholic and who was beginning, in some way at least, to challenge you a little bit, but she wasn't a part of this, and you weren't talking to her. I was, you said I was, you were only I was talking corresponding to with her. I was well. So I was. You cor- were talking with dead people, but you didn't see dead people. You saw her. I did not see a dead people. Person. 
Right. So <laughs> she's living in D.C., finishing up her uh, degree at Catholic University of America at the time. She would, um, okay, in a short while, be moved out to to Cincinnati to uh, mm-hmm. take master's classes in education, and um, and so all of this was correspondence and phone calls. And I think I said to her on the phone at one point, "It's like Colleen, I think I like mm-hmm. everything about Catholicism except the mass." And <laughs> she was like, "Yeah, that doesn't she's work." Like that's the second thing. Work. <laughs> she's like yeah you gotta you gotta work on that um so you're basically so that saying that obstacle you're basically describing your first obstacle really was just uh what you be, what you had been reading the impression you had gotten from what you've been reading and then the reality when you walked in it, it, at least at that time that mass um it was underwhelming sure you know, and I've experienced, you're out. Yeah, I've experienced a range of things since. I've experienced lots of the 20th mm-hmm. century folk mass. I've experienced the traditional Latin mass. I've experienced, uh, you know, yeah. my personal favorite, which is a, a meaningless kind of thing to say about something when you're talking about the objectivity of the sacrament. But, you know, I, I love mm-hmm. it when you've got the Novus Ordo mass that is like got all the main pieces in Latin. You know, I, I've, a range of things. I've been to mass in other mm-hmm. countries. Right. And now mm-hmm. I understand that the mass is the mass. But that was an adjustment for me uh, because mm-hmm. there was never any kind of in the services, the church services I grew up, it was never just like, well, the church service is the church service. It doesn't matter how the homily goes or how the sermon goes. We didn't have the word homily. It doesn't matter what the singing's right, like. Right. It doesn't matter if anybody gets saved at the end of it, right? The church service is the church service. It has the same intrinsic power. Like there was no concept of that, right? Where I came from. It was right, right, right. either a good right. or a bad experience of church based on like the the felt reality of it. So, th- so that was a big adjustment for me. It was just kind of really getting my head around, mm-hmm. you know, the reality of the Eucharist despite what was going on around it. Um, that was hard. It was hard. Uh, and it's the uh, it's you know the, I still I still get cranky the, uh, about liturgical stuff, but you know it's not the same kind of level of just like. Mm-hmm. angst and anxiety that I used to have in regard to that sort of thing. You know, when you think of it, Matt, though, the discrepancy between the ideal and then the what you see in the flesh, you know? I mean, I can think about the Bible. Think of how the church is described by Jesus in Ephesians 5, where it's a spotless bride being presented to the Father. I mean, if you oh read gosh, that yes. and you got your conception of the church from that, and then you walked into, uh, you know, you'd uh, you would have the same kind of a, I don't know, jarring well in some ways anyway, go ahead you know the reading paul's letter to the ephesians helped me kind of understand that because this was the same guy who wrote to the galatians and said you stupid galatians what is wrong with you did you hear a single thing that i said when i was with you yeah. right like so i i kind of understood yeah. you know eventually it sort of soaked in that yeah even in the time of the apostles you had paul talking about a a holy mm-hmm. catholic and apostolic church right which is what the church intrinsically is, but the way that it actually kind of is being worked out in Galatia ain't so hot right now. Um, so, so that helped me. Um, but I think the other reality versus ideal thing that really bothered me, and it 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 mm-hmm. bothers me still, but it wasn't like a it wasn't like a crushing anxiety. It, it's not mm-hmm. a crushing anxiety now, like it was then, and that is that I had you know read things like. Um, the radical combination of orthodox theology, love for the sacraments, and um, 
implementation of Catholic social teaching in the life of somebody like Dorothy Day uh, or of Mother mm-hmm. Teresa or of John Paul II in the way that he taught and of reading in the catechism and seeing just strong Christology matched with strong commitment to the lived reality of, of Christianity and the works of mercy and finding that, unfortunately, inside the church, there were a lot of the same kind of divides in the American mm-hmm. pews that there were out there in Republican and Democrat land and in, you know, cable news land and, and, and feeling as though that there were some forces that said, no, you have to pick which pieces of the catechism you're going to double down on and which pieces you can kind of like mm-hmm. push to the side. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was also sort of a weird thing because where I came from, kind of conservative and liberal had sort of static meanings and they were Mm -hmm. attached to political realities. But here in the Catholic Church, I was finding people who were politically conservative but liturgically liberal, right? (laughs) Or or sort of like a mix of things, like people who Mm -hmm. were like, Mm -hmm. you know, hardcore Republicans in the voting booth, but like we're into the 20th century folk mass when it came to the liturgy. It was just a very strange thing, a strange adjustment. And, you know, I came in having read the catechism and thought, I can't believe that there's a place that has all of these things. And then I walk into the local parish and I realize that, um, well, it's like Galatia and Ephesus and Thessalonica, you know, it's a work in progress at the local level. Yeah. Or the church in Corinth, you know, you're of Paul, you're of Apollos, you're saying I'm a Peter, you know, divided. I heard this thing about this guy with um, his father's wife. Like, yeah. What you're saying now, though, it just strikes me as being a, another version of your first point, really, you know, and that is the disjuncture between the ideal that you read in Scripture or now you're reading in the Catechism or you're seeing in the lives of some of the saints with what, you know, with what you get in the garden variety parish when you walk through the door. But but it makes me, but but it reminds me that this goes all the way back. I'm I'm just thinking, if I had seen Jesus walking along with his 12 disciples, and I thought, man, these guys are the cream of the crop. And so I come up close to listen, and I hear James and John saying, you know, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Is it going to be me? Is it going to be you? You know? You know even like, what do you the, think? Should we just uh, that, should we just blow that town up? They didn't take us yeah. very well. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus, shall we call down fire from heaven? Yeah. Or... Or you walk up close and you hear like a you hear like a you know Judas on the phone talking to the chief priest you know like can you make that thirty uh, can you make that thirty pieces of silver sure I'll turn him over you know that that has existed wow. from the beginning hasn't it I mean and, and it's a shame but you know what it exists in of my course. life the the ideal that I long for and the ideal that I strive for and that at times in in some little sliver of a way in my life I think I'm approximating. And and the reality oh, if someone all were the just time to between climb into my brain, if someone were to climb into my brain and sit there for about a month, be privy to all, to all the say, thoughts, you know. Gosh, so, it sure yeah. is empty in here. But I, yeah. <laughs> no. So, but yeah, this, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. As, so, as mainly, I also your say, you know, so far. Yeah. I was just going to say my 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 theology is yeah. often I feel like fairly, you know, where it needs to be. It's my um my own pursuit of holiness that needs to go back to remedial classes all the time, you know? And and so I kind of, I can kind of get that, you know, the thing that I was encountering, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's in me as you're saying. Yeah. Right. Right. And I totally relate because I thought my way into the Catholic church too. So a lot of what I had in my mind was a vision that I had built up 
from from reading the reading theology, reading great books, reading the lives of great saints, you know. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say the the other um, thing that was sort of uh, disconcerting to me is I was working in a um, a secular environment at the time, but it was full of a bunch of people who had been Catholic but were no longer like participating in church, and. Yeah. You know, this is like bubble. I'm so excited about this. I am like absolutely amped about the things that I'm mm-hmm. learning and discovering and mm-hmm. and and the path that my life is now on after having been so disillusioned with all the Christian things that I'd been experiencing before. And now mm-hmm. I finally found the Pearl of Great Price. And it was, you know, there are all these weird experiences around it. And, you know, occasionally I would say something about what I was doing. And one of my coworkers was like, wait you're becoming Catholic on purpose. Like the church is lame. It's terrible. This priest did this. this, And and people like actively discouraging me, Mm -hmm. even some of the people I went to, Mm -hmm. uh, some of the parishes I went to inquiring about becoming Catholic were just downright did everything, but try and talk me out of it. Hmm. Um, Hmm. There, there were a couple of places that, that, that downright talked me out of it. Um, and, And, a couple other places are like, yeah, well, we don't have a DRE right now. Um, why don't you come back next fall? Or uh, the one place that said, it's December right now. That's really cool that you're interested. I tell you what, come back next September because next September we'll start a series of classes and you can participate. And I think this is shortly after I'd read the story of John Henry Newman waking up in the middle of the night and walking through the driving rain to the house of Dominic Barbarian saying, get the oils now before I change my mind, <laughs> right? And I'm like, this is kind of the, the image I have in yeah. my mind. And I'm like, what are you telling me? Come back next September. What is this? Uh, is this the DMV? What? I, at any rate, I was confused. Um, so that was an obstacle. It's sort of like, it's sort of like the, the uh, I have this image in my mind. It's sort of like the Bible story where Matt Swain wakes up in the morning and goes, behold, it's Leah. <laughs> That's kind of what it was. It's like, I thought I married Rachel. What's this? Here we go. Another seven years of RCIA for me, right? Um, (laughs) But to get into kind of like the second, the second main category of obstacle for me was, Mm -hmm. once I was in the process of becoming Catholic, it wasn't actually long before I got involved in the local Catholic radio station. And, uh, you know, of course I had a radio background and uh, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, what my you know, college work had been in. And uh, because of this, there was uh, a lot of exposure to just, you know, full blast fire hose, you know, faithful Catholicism in the mix there too. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it, you know, people would call up the radio station or people would come into the radio station or people would find out I worked for the radio station and they would corner me. And they would tell me about like these things that Our Lady had said to this visionary or they would say something about like this uh, this novena that you have to pray, like um, that our lady yeah. told us that if you did this, then this would absolutely happen. Um, a lot of kind of like sort of tit for tat Catholic pieties that you know, yeah. Or like you know the Saint Gertrude prayer, where did you know that if you pray this, exactly ninety nine souls will spring from purgatory? That's not the numbers, but um, you know, a lot of these things that were told to me, like I had to do this, like insane list of pieties every day if i was supposed to be a good catholic Mm -hmm. like how is this possible like there are not enough hours in the week for me to do all the holy hours that i'm apparently supposed to do in reparation for this thing and that thing and jerry springer the musical coming downtown we got to do a holy hour for that too and like you know 
abortion and, you know, the denigration of marriage and, you know, things that are going on in Washington. Like, I have to do a holy hour for every single one of those things. Are you kidding me? Like, I'm one man. Um, and and thinking, so you know, you're feeling like you're feeling like instead of getting into the public world, instead of getting into radio, you would have been happier if you could curl up in the corner with with Chesterton and just remain there. Huh? Just, just be there. Just, just fine. Just reading. Just reading yeah. and learning and keeping the doors closed and the windows shut. Yeah, and and also like not understanding yeah. which of those things, because I was getting hit from all sides. Uh, which of those things were approved, right. or really taught? Um, yeah, pieties. really taught and really important. And yeah, or um, which of those things were? I mean, some of those things which were approved and deemed worthy of devotion. Which of those things did I actually have to do, and which of those things could I, could I set to the side and say, mm-hmm. well, maybe this isn't the particular mm-hmm. piety that Christ is calling me to kind of invest myself in? So, like, right, right. I mean, when you're a brand new Catholic and you're like, so, like, I want to say a Hail Mary right now, but should I be directing it at Our Lady of Lords, Our Lady of Fatima, Our Lady of Guadalupe? Because <laughs> what what world evil am I trying to solve? By praying this Hail Mary, like it could be just an, it was an over, overwhelming thing for me. Uh, but also too, I mean, that was the stuff that people were hitting me with. The stuff that I was imposing upon myself was this discovery mm-hmm. of um, the spirituality of St. Francis de Sales and of St. Benedict mm-hmm. and of Ignatius of Loyola and of St. Francis and of St. Mm-hmm. Dominic and these, mm-hmm. the Carmelite uh, tradition all these wonderful spiritualities. I know you're a big fan of uh, Jose Maria Escriva and his spirituality and thinking, you mean I gotta, I can't do all these. Like I can't, (laughs) you know, which one's a fit for me. And as a result, I've actually Mm -hmm. never Mm -hmm. decided that, you know, I was going to pursue being a lay Carmelite or a lay Dominican or any of those things just because I found that at least for me, different aspects of those different spiritualities have been extremely fruitful at various points in my life. Mm-hmm. But not every one of them hits me the same way every time. Like sometimes I'm like, I'm going through a Franciscan season in my life or I'm going through like a Benedictine season in my life. Um, and being able to recognize that instead yeah. of just thinking I have to be a Jesuit and a Dominican and a Franciscan and a Salesian simultaneously uh, while also working in the Carmelites over my lunch break. Like, that um, that was a struggle for me. I don't know if that was your, a problem for you, but I mean, you probably found well, Jose Maria Escrivá no, no, immediately. But. No, 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 no. I, I do what you do. I draw from everyone. I mean, St. Philip Neri is one of my great loves that I oh, learned a lot from, and St. John of the Cross and his writings, and then, of course, St. Teresa of Avila. So, no, I draw from all sorts of sorts of things. When it comes to St. Jose Maria Escrivá, it's mainly setting a pattern, a practical pattern for, for life that I find very useful and very helpful. Um, yeah. But anyway, okay, go ahead. Your story is so interesting to me to, to hear. And I don't know why you well, got involved in radio so quickly. I'm glad my pain is entertaining so to you, Ken. I'm glad that my yeah, pain is entertaining. It's very inter- yeah, the, the more painful, the more, inter- the more I laugh, the more entertaining. By the way, why were you in radio? What were you doing in radio, in Catholic radio? Oh, yeah. So um, this is part of, you know, my complaint to my wife was that I can't get anybody to say hello to me at the end of mass. Like nobody cares that I'm even here. Mm -hmm. And uh, my wife said, well, you just got to get involved in something um, that you can, Mm -hmm. you know, plug into and find community with. And she said, there's a local Catholic radio station. She actually, I think, made the call for me. Um, 
Mm. And this is, I think, right after she had moved into town. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so I called Bill, the station manager at Sacred Heart Radio. And this is sort of a side story. And uh, I was like, yeah, I, uh, you know, am coming into the church soon. I'm not even Catholic yet. Yeah, I I don't think I was even Catholic yet. I'm trying to remember exactly the timeline. Um, I'm coming into the church soon. I have a background in communications. I have a degree in communications with an emphasis on production. Radio is my personal, you know, kind of area of formation. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bill was so excited that someone had called that was uh, A, because the the radio station had only been going for a couple of years, that was A, um, proficient in the tools and mentality of radio production and be under the age of 80 years old and listening to his radio station because <laughs> he wasn't, you know, like really aware of like the demographics at that point because it's a fairly new station. So I, they called me in and yeah, yeah, and fairly rapidly got me plugged in doing some like just some hourly editing and, and then it kind of escalated into the Sunrise okay. Morning Show a few years later. But uh, yeah, and I did okay. find a lot of Can you get onto some more that. pain? Can you get yeah, more, pain. more pain? Yes. Now? More, more pain yeah. for you, Ken. Um, I think a, a third uh, out of the four areas that was a real struggle area for me was taking these doctrines that I'd read about and learning to kind of like walk around in them. Um, mm-hmm. The the Mary stuff, okay. I, I think I've, I've hinted at, and we can talk a little bit about some of the doctrinal stuff. The doctrinal stuff with Mary was actually not that difficult. Um. Once I begin to t- put two and two together and understand how Mariology flowed forth from Christology, but I think mm-hmm. still actively talking to Mary as if she's actually there and listening was a little weird for me. <laughs> you know, it's something I had to like, you know, cultivate and needed a little practice for. I think too, the doctrinal reality of the Eucharist was like locked and loaded in here, mm-hmm. but then walking up in the line to receive. Jesus, or even preparing to receive Jesus in the Eucharist in RCIA and watching mm-hmm. everybody else, you know, like they're standing in line at Kroger and like kind of half there and half not. I don't know what's going on internally, but this is what it looks like to me, right? Um, I think it was a struggle for me. Like, is this really you, Lord? Uh, and to this day, um, as I walk up the aisle, one of the things that I, you know, pray is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, because I want to... Mm-hmm. Um, I want to constantly be giving that over uh, just because I know in here that it's real. And, you know, this is a, this is something that I've, I've kind of grown and matured in, but you know, you probably have gotten this question a lot too with people who are coming into the church, uh, preparing for their first communion, often at the Easter vigil. And they say, well, what did Mm -hmm. you feel the first time you received communion? You know, what do you guys feel when you receive Jesus Christ, our Lord himself, body, blood, soul, and divinity? And frankly, I don't remember feeling anything in particular that first time. And I don't feel anything particular, I'd say, about 80% of the time. Um, And that was a struggle for me. But the fact of the matter is, Ken, is that Mm -hmm. about 20% of the time, I do feel something. 20% of the time, I do get kind of like that window into what's really actually happening. And it buckles my knees. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's uh, Mm -hmm. it's the kind of thing where the objective and the subjective meet um you know kind of always knowing that christ was there but realizing that i wasn't going to feel it every time um was a struggle totally relate yeah and 
You know, here's one thing I thought about that too. This is this is a place where Catholicism is so just so radically different from the forms of Protestantism, at least that I understood and that I lived in. I would go to church to hear a sermon to learn. So I'm I'm learning about God from the Word, and I'm praying and I'm singing praise. And then in, in my years as a pastor, I'm the one preaching it. But mm-hmm. but in the Catholic Church, you're asked you're asked to believe that a miracle is taking place right in front of your eyes. That's a much bigger every time ask. you go. It's a much bigger. Yeah, ask. it's a bigger ask. You know, a miracle is taking place right here, right now. It's it's much bigger. And so I thoroughly understand the the yeah. Lord. I believe helped on my unbelief. It's like you get your doctrine straight, your, your biblical theology, history. You get it locked into your mind. This is the reality. But then you have to w- look forward every week or every day and say, okay, a miracle is taking place. And, and and the only thing I can feel too is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That that that, that prayer is always on my lips. It's always Yeah, in my there's mind. something. Um, okay. I'm trying to remember the, the W.H. Auden quote. Um, he says something to the effect of, you know, mm-hmm. all the poets say, well, I will love you forever. He says, anybody can say that. That's an easy mm-hmm. sentiment. What about I will love you next Tuesday at 4.30, right? <laughs> and I think that that was kind of like the thing that I was working through in my head, um, yeah, you know, as yeah, a Catholic. Yeah. Like, I believe uh, now yeah. and forever that the Eucharist truly is body, blood, soul, and divinity, our Lord Jesus Christ. But what about like the third Sunday of the month? Do I believe that? Um, and that was, that was yeah. kind of, you know, what I was like learning to get my sea legs in, uh, as far as that goes. Okay. You want the last one? I'll sure. give you the, I think we have enough time depending on how much you want to expand on it. I don't need to expand on this a ton, but I do feel like I have to mention it just because it is so common. And I want to say it really, uh, for the benefit of the people watching this who may be lifelong. Say it. Catholics who say this kind of thing all the time, and I know what they mean, and they're right in a lot of ways. But I also know all right. how I felt when it was said to me. <laughs> so uh, okay. there was this thing okay. that would happen to me, even when I was an RCIA, because mm-hmm. I had read the catechism through maybe twice before I became Catholic, plus mm-hmm. Chesterton and Frank Sheed and you know a hundred other people. Um, and so I knew the answers. I knew the, like the doctrinal stuff. Mm-hmm. I was on point with all these things. I was dialed in, locked in. And so I would mention these things around cradle Catholics who've been doing this their whole life and had never heard any of this stuff, especially once I got involved in Catholic radio. And they're like, oh, you guys, you converts are always so much better Catholics than, than us cradle Catholics. Um, mm-hmm. You guys are amazing. I can't believe how holy and faithful you are. I'm like, you don't know me. <laughs> like you don't you don't know what it's like in here and in my heart. Like I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. Like do you understand that like I don't know what I'm doing. I know what's true, but I don't know how to do it. I don't know where I am. Some of these modern buildings, I don't even know what door to go into when I show up at a church that I've not been to. I, like I don't know what I'm doing. Don't put me on some kind of pedestal. Like Literally, I'm okay, watching so you zero, people who claim wait, that you don't zero. know anything. I'm watching you guys to know when to sit up and st- sit down and stand up. That's how lost okay, I am. Let me let me zero let me zero in here. Then, are you saying, in, in terms of the obstacle, are you saying that the obstacle was finding out how dumb the Catholics were to think to think you were that holy? That, how gullible the they were to think that I was smart. The, the realization, <laughs> or the realization that 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 you weren't what you needed to be. What are you you're saying? The first, aren't you? 
Well, I'm saying a couple first. things here, but one of them is that um, I think that cradle Catholics can be under the illusion that because a lot of converts have like mm-hmm. studied the material, that that makes them good Catholics. Yeah. And in fact, yeah, that's a that's a false sense of security for a convert because yeah, it, and I. I this is one of the reasons that when we have somebody on the journey home, we wait until they've been Catholic a couple of years if we can. Uh, yeah. And so unlike you that were on, who was on Catholic radio before you even became Catholic, now you want people to wait a couple of years before they come on the journey home and tell their story. But anyway, yeah, well, I mean, so I wasn't thought it was strange. on Catholic radio at that point. I was editing stuff at the middle okay. of the night, but still, yeah. Uh, so you viewed this as an obstacle that that Catholics thought that you were, or assumed that you were something great. That was another obstacle. And I don't want to say it was an obstacle to me becoming Catholic, but it was something that made it, um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I felt like a weird, I felt like everybody kind of expected to me to be a model of Catholicism when in fact I was a, a, a very mm-hmm. green Catholic, right? I was very wet yeah, behind yeah. the ears. I was a rookie in every way. And so I think one of the one of the early struggles for me was that me being like, I need help. Who's going to tell me how this works? And people were coming to me and saying, can you help us? Like, I'm like, how yeah. am I supposed to help you? Why? Because I've read more Chesterton than you. You think that I know what's going on? I have no idea. Like, I just learned who my own bishop is. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, and you know I mean? what? You know what? You know what? I have to say in defense of these people, the people you're de- you're describing, because I experienced the same thing. Oh, it was all it was all well intentioned, and I don't take it the wrong my, way now. But. Yeah, my my experience is that many of them that said those kinds of things to me are way holier than I am, and and love the Lord more than I did. Oh you my know? gosh, yes. Um, it, 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 it it's just that they weren't used to their they weren't formed. Um, intellectually in the same way they weren't used to someone who had read a ton of stuff and knew a lot of things that they just hadn't put put together in that way you know and so they would say that you know they, right. they act like you're a great star they a great star and they want to put you on the podium get get you teaching and speaking right away and all that yeah and they're better people right they're and better. and i wasn't ready to go out and they were uh, often share publicly what had happened to me um but but yeah. again, I think it goes back to to one other thing. Just you know, to put this out here as we wrap up, is it it goes to kind of like a sure. core difference in the way that Protestants make new Protestants versus how Catholics make new Catholics. Traditionally speaking, at least in the pre-Vatican II era, uh, before actually really in the pre-World War II era, when things were more uh, aligned by cultures and you know national identities, the way that Catholics made more Catholics was by having babies. Right. Whereas traditionally Mm -hmm. Protestantism has always been you make more Protestants by going and preaching the gospel, discipling somebody, sending them back out and then having them preach the gospel. So for us, it was natural for us to get you saved, get you a Bible, get you reading, get you turning around and get you sharing that out in the world. And so Catholics aren't used to seeing that. So when they see a Protestant who comes in and decides they're going to do the same thing with Catholicism that they've used to, they're used to having had done. Right. As a lifelong Protestant, which is get in, learn it, go out, share it. Um, they're like, wow, you guys must be, let's make you the CEO of this parish. Like, no, no, <laughs> I know nothing. I know nothing. So mm-hmm. so that was a struggle at first. And now, I, I mean, I kind of think of it in a good-natured way, but I do know people who feel like a weird pressure, like, 
um, they come into the church, they come towards the church, and suddenly people are telling them that they're like, uh, you know, some saint and scholar, and yeah. they're like, they've never even had their first confession yet. <laughs> well, I'm spending a lot of time holding back here, because I know that when we're done with your story, we're going to turn the tables, and I'll have my chance to tell my story, but I I relate to virtually everything you're saying. I relate and have my own you know, a uh, story to tell about that. But um, listen, then w- we should begin to wrap up for this week. And this means that when we get together next week to record, we're going to pick up where you're at. And I just want to hear the story as it goes forward. And that is basically, I think we'll be addressing the question, well, how did you make a, make a home for yourself within the church? What was the process? How did it work for you? Something like that. Yeah. Okay. Should be fun. Yeah. After I've uh, thrown out all these problems and issues over the past three episodes, we can talk about like how now I have no problems at all. Uh, so it'll be wonderful. wonderful yeah. Very peaceful. That's episode. right. You won't have any fun because I won't be yeah. sharing any pain, Ken. I know how much you are entertained well, by my pain. I'll uh, find a way to hurt you. I'll find a way to hurt you. (laughs) I hope you're having some fun. Uh, We're certainly having fun with this series. Uh, It's on the journey. I'm Matt Swain along with my colleague, Ken Hensley, and I encourage you to uh, check out other episodes in this series. Some of the previous series deal more with like kind of the doctrinal stuff um, that I, that I dealt with on my way into the church. Uh, This series has been more about kind of like the personal stuff, but uh, if you are on your own personal journey and experiencing any of these things, then please do come visit us especially in our online community, which is community.chnetwork.org. There's a whole bunch of people in there uh, who have had all kinds of different experiences and are ready to welcome you with open arms and share them with you. And if you enjoy this series and want us uh, to keep doing it uh, long enough for Ken to share his side, then please do consider generously um, contributing to the financial well-being. Are you insinuating that I'm about to die or something? I'm insinuating that my... uh, I'm on my way out. (laughs) Maybe the batteries in this thing are about to die. I don't know. But uh, uh, you can just go to chnetwork.org slash donate if you want to be a supporter of the work. Ken, thank you again. All right, man. It's good seeing you again this week. And uh, stay alive. Try and try and at least think up some more painful things to share next week so that I can have joy in my life. <laughs> I will do, I will we'll do my best. There, okay? I will do my right. best. Until next right. week. Take care. See, see you, Matt. Bye. Thank you.